This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say a big thank you uh, for everything that you guys have done, being part of our, our vision and being part of the, the work. Uh, obviously, known Pete and Briny uh, for a long time. I knew Pete before he was a hipster. Um, uh, many years ago, I actually prayed, I don't know if he's ever told this story, I actually prayed when I first met Pete and he said he was interested in pays. I prayed that he wouldn't apply because I didn't like hippies. So I, I know it's terrible, but I did pray for that. And he said how amazing they've been. It's been great to know uh, Trish and Jeff as well. And just you guys are very much part of the, uh, the, the whole journey of pays. Just to show you, this is where pays is right now around the world, working in uh, schools, working in businesses around the world. And uh, what happens here? Uh, in Burnley often um, sets kind of like the standard for what we're doing around the world. So we really, really appreciate the journey. Uh, tonight, um, got a little award to give to Jasmine because uh, she's been on pays now as a junior pays person for over 10 years. So we're excited about giving her a little prize as well. And I think she gets a T-shirt, but um, God may bless her and she might not get a T-shirt of Webby. So um, if you've got your Bibles, please uh, open them to Matthew chapter 26. Um, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, sorry. Um, I'm going to share a scripture, but what I really want to share this morning is what I consider to be the biggest challenge that we have uh, on page right now. And just as a way of introducing the subject, I want to just tell you about my son who um, his whole life has never really had a girlfriend, told us he wasn't interested in girls, never really included us in that journey. And one day um, we were in California. I got a phone call from Joel to say... Um, we put mum on the phone, but tell her not to worry. I've had a crash, but I'm fine. So we, we speak to him on speakerphone. What's wrong? I had a crash in the car. Are you okay? Yeah. Was it your fault? No. Can you prove it's not your fault? Yes, yeah, someone is in the car, and she is going to explain to the police that it wasn't my fault. Our question was, who's she? Oh, nobody. You don't need to worry about that. Nobody. Just, just somebody I know. And then uh, I was hearing rumors, Joel's got a girlfriend. I didn't know Joel had a girlfriend. So eventually he came back to Texas to come back home. I'm playing FIFA with him one day. And then I walk out of the room and said, Dad, come back. So I came back and said, Dad, you might have heard I do have a girlfriend. I said, oh, that's great. What, what, what's her name? Oh, she's called, she's called Alexander Della Torre. Uh, this is her. And she's really beautiful. Does she love Jesus? Yes, she loves Jesus. That's wonderful. Great. How long have you been going out with her, Joel? Oh, oh, a while. Oh, what, like two weeks, three weeks? No, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. We'll invite her over tomorrow. She invites her over the next day, met Lexi, took them out for lunch. Rookie mistake, he left her alone with us while he went to the, uh, the toilet. So both me and Lynn turned to Lexi and said, Lexi, how long have you been going out with Joel? And she said, officially or unofficially? And I thought, this is going to be bad. So I said, just, just officially. She said, oh, officially, three years. <laughs> three years. She lived just around the corner. That's how bad a parent my wife is. We had no idea. We had no idea. Uh, and she was hidden in plain sight. Since then, we've had our first granddaughter. This is Winter. And our second granddaughter, Rosie. Really super cute uh, uh, girls. Hidden in plain sight. She was hidden in plain sight, right around the corner. He went, he went jogging. I was really proud of him until I found out afterwards he went jogging for about one minute to her house three times a week. Hidden in plain sight, a bit like the gospel. 
I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about the real gospel. One of the biggest challenges we have right now is we recruit people from around the world, Christians. They come on pays, and most of the time, I realize they bought into the wrong gospel. I want to share about the two gospels uh, this morning. Uh, many years ago, I was in America. Uh, I was on a leadership team, uh, and we were discussing all sorts of different things every week. And I was feeling more and more uncomfortable. And I remember one day, having this kind of out-of-body experience, kind of looking down at myself on this leadership team, asking myself the question, is this a different religion? Crazy. Of course, it wasn't, but I realized afterwards it was a different gospel. It was a different gospel from the gospel I understood. I want to find out, and I want to help you discover today, which gospel have you bought into? What's interesting about Jesus when he shares the gospel is he's not sharing it to unbelievers. Jesus spoke almost entirely to believers. You don't hear Jesus saying, well, you can't feel the wind, so you can't see the wind, but, but it's real just like God. He doesn't preach like that, does he? He doesn't say, you know, you can't see electric, obvious, for obvious reasons, I suppose, but he doesn't do that kind of thing. And even the gospel, the kind of verses we would use for the gospel, he's speaking to some of the most ardent believers you know, so when you think about, uh, for God so loved the world, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a prominent God-fearing Jew, Nicodemus. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, who's he talking to? He's comforting his 12 most ardent disciples. So what is the gospel of Jesus? If his message was mainly to believers like you and me, what was his message? And how much difference could it make to our Christian lives if we fully understand it? Because I want to suggest to you today that there are some of us who've bought into one gospel and there are some of us who may have bought into a different gospel. And we're going to discover the difference in Matthew 6. So if you open your Bibles, if you've got them or turn them on, Matthew 6 chapter, uh, sorry, verse 28 says this, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Let me repeat that. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. To know you are warm, you have to have felt cold. To know you're in the light, you have to have known you've been in the dark. To understand the kingdom, you need to understand the alternative. And Jesus here is talking about the alternative that many believers had bought into. Don't be like the pagans, he says to them. Now, I actually showed these uh, photos a few years ago, about 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm guessing you won't remember them. So I'm just going to show them again. But who were the pagans? And what, what, what was it about the pagans that Jesus didn't want his disciples to be like? Obviously, he didn't expect them to go running after other gods. So there's something else about the way that the pagans behaved and believed and did their religion that Jesus was opposed to. So this is a road to nowhere. Uh, it's kind of near Turkey. 
Uh, along the road, there's all sorts of different things along the road there. The archaeology tells us there were shops, there were restaurants, there were restrooms, there were statues to very famous people. It was an incredibly important road, and yet it led basically to nowhere. No port, no city, no anything. So it actually led to this temple. This is the only thing at the end of this road. The road is about 15, I think, kilometers long, and it led to uh, the temple uh, of Apollo at Didymus. An incredible, incredible place. This, this place was six stories tall. Now, most of your life, you would have only seen a one-story tall building. When you came on this, can you imagine the anticipation of walking along this road and seeing this wonder of the world, the second biggest temple in the world at its time. It's an incredible place. Uh, when you came, just so you can see the, the size of it there, when you came, you would bring your sacrifice and you present it to the priest, and the priest would wash it. And the priest would then tell you if you were okay to ask the priest, the oracle, your question, the oracle like a prophet. And then you would wait. Sometimes you'd wait for hours, sometimes days. Record says that some people waited years to get their answer from the oracle. Uh, the oracle was usually a woman, younger or old, that I'm not making this up, that would sit over um, a pit of glue basically glue sniffing, getting high, and in that uh, moment of getting high, we'd contact the gods. And then we get an answer to your uh, question, pass it on to the priest uh, who would write it down in some kind of poetic form, and then there'd be a knock on the door, the door would open, and you would be told your answer is ready, and you would get an answer. Normally the answers went to questions, things like, you know, I'm, um, I'm a carpenter, but I've been given some land, uh, will the gods be happy if I become a farmer? And this was the difference between the pagans and what Jesus was looking for in the disciples. It was all to do with the questions they asked. Pagans asked the question, if I do this, will you bless me? Should I do this, will you bless me? Well, Jesus said, ask God what he's doing and how you bless him. Seek first the kingdom of God. I would define this in my little terminology as two different types of gospel. You have what I would call a Christian-centric gospel. And the Christian-centric gospel is where we pursue our vision. We do it God's way so God will give us what we want. We pursue our vision. We do it God's way. So God will give us what we want. That is preached every Sunday in hundreds of thousands of churches worldwide. You can read endless books on a Christian-centric gospel. And then there's the gospel Jesus preached. The gospel Jesus preached was this. Pursue God's kingdom. Do it God's way so you can give what God once. And what we see so much in the church today is the product of Christian-centric preaching, Christian-centric structures, not kingdom-centric structures, and it makes a huge difference. It's a bit like a prism, and I want to ask you the question, which gospel have you bought into? Which gospel have you into? into. It's like a prism. 
You know, a prism splits light. So everything we do goes through this prism of the two Gospels. It affects everything you do. It affects the way you approach church. It affects the way you approach Scripture. It affects the way you uh, are with your fellow brother and sister. It affects the questions you ask of God. A Christian-centric Gospel teaches this. Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to die for you. It's all about you. That's the Christian-centric Gospel. Christian God, and I don't know if this is true, I've never seen it in the Bible, maybe Jeff or Pete can point it out, or Brian later if, if I've missed it, but we hear things like, if you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have come for you. I honestly don't know if that's true or not, maybe it is, I don't know. But we've certainly made it all about us. The reality is, Jesus didn't come to simply rescue you, he came to recruit you. He came to recruit you for his purpose. You are completely unique, there's nobody on the planet exactly like you, he made you for that reason, for his purpose. And if we're righteous, which means we're righted with God, in other words, we're aligned with God, our prayers become so much more effective. Our lives become so much more effective if we're in line with him, if we're righted with him. But which gospel have you brought into? The one that says Jesus came to rescue you or the one that said Jesus came to recruit you? The reason Jesus came was for the purpose of the Father. For his purpose. And we all benefit because God loves us so much. He loved the whole world. He sent his son into the world. So I thought, well, really quickly, I might, I might go through some of the subjects I've had to think about to question, am I Christian-centric or have I bought into a kingdom-centric gospel? The first subject, really quickly, is the question of faith. Because the two Gospels provide a different prism from which to believe or a prism from which to believe God in different ways. Have you ever asked why do people lose faith? Maybe you've lost some faith. Maybe this year you've lost some faith. I don't know. I would guess not you guys. It looks like you guys are the most fervent. You're back. You're in church. But maybe you know people who've lost faith. Why do people lose faith? You hear about you hear Christian celebrities losing faith, Christian worship leaders, Christian musicians, Christian pastors losing faith and going publicly to talk about it. Now I don't have all the answers to that, but can I suggest one possible answer for some of those situations is that maybe we bought into the wrong faith. Maybe we bought into the wrong gospel. What happens when things go wrong, but you're following God because He's supposed to give you what you want? What happens if you've heard the gospel? Jesus died for you. If you give your life to him, then he's going to sort your life out. What happens if things don't go to plan? In my life, you know, most of the people I loved in my family have passed away. Like my mum when I was young. Lots of people. If, if, I, if my faith was based on a Christian-centric gospel, I'd be wondering, literally, what the hell is going on? Literally. And I mean that in a literal sense. Has God lost control? What's going on? What's going wrong? Where's all this going? Why is this happening to me? Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope disappointed makes the heart sick. You know, there's no point having huge faith for the wrong plan. It's better to have a mustard seed of faith for the right plan, to be aligned with God. In my opinion, and people may People may argue with me here, but it seems to me you don't need God for anything in this world apart from salvation. 
You don't need God to be wealthy. You don't need God to be healthy. You don't need God to be wise. You don't need God. And, and that's not a mistake. That's the way God's ordained it on purpose. But here's the difference. You can go and get whatever you want, but whatever you go and get, you have to maintain. Whatever God gives, God maintains. And that's where our peace comes from. When we're aligned with God, when we're pursuing God's kingdom, and all of us struggle with that, including me, but when we're pursuing God's kingdom in our lives, the work of his kingdom, taking over our lives and all our decisions, and working through us, when we're aligned with him, God maintains. God has our back. He gives us those things that we need, and then he maintains them. But this has always been the problem. This has always been the problem with believers. Even Paul experienced this. In Philippians, he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered, uh, be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Listen to why. Who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers. For every believer, he's saying, now maybe he's using hyperbole, for every believer looks after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Um, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Paul, interestingly, writes to the Philippians to show his imprisonment, his lockdown, if you like, has not impeded the spread of the gospel, but actually it has hastened its expansion. He's joyful. Why? He's in prison. He's joyful because his joy is in God's success, not his success. And that's one of the differences between a Christian-centric and gospel-centric Christianity. A Christian-centric gospel celebrates his success, not simply our success. I think one of the ways we can figure out which gospel we've brought into is through Scripture. Now, what I would say, though, is this. A Christian-centric gospel is easy to lose, so please don't preach it. Don't just preach, Jesus came to rescue you. I know your life's bad, but don't worry. If you give it to Jesus, look what he did for me. That's great. It's just not the full picture. Please preach a kingdom-centric gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God. You're recruited for God's plan, what God is doing on the planet. Yes, he came to rescue you. Yes, he, he died for your sins. Yes, we can repent. Yes, he'll give you what you need. But that's not the end goal. Scripture, the two Gospels provide a different or a prism from which to search the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. My question is, beneficial to whom, constructive to what? I mean, that's a staggering statement. Everything is beneficial. Everything is... Con well, so when we're looking at Scripture, what are we looking at? My example of this is uh, when we think about the pagans. When the pagans uh, became followers of Jesus, they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which gave all the Jews a problem. They didn't know what to do with these new Gentiles who were giving themselves to Jesus and being filled with the Spirit in the same way they were. So they went to the council at Jerusalem and said, what do we do? What do we tell these 
Gentiles? What do, we, what do we explain to these Gentiles? And this was the answer. They said, well, we prayed, and this is what we feel the Holy Spirit's put on our heart. Let me read this to you. See if there's anything odd in this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Anything strike you odd? So murder's okay then, is it? Lying's fine, cheating, no problem. More importantly, why do they have to abstain from the food laws when Jesus had previously said through his spirit, you didn't have to? So has God changed his mind now? And why is that for the Gentiles? Because, I mean, they weren't under the food law anyway. What, what's going on? What, what's, what's happening here? Um, I don't know if, it, let me ask you a question. How many of you um, believe that the Jews believed that Gentiles could be Christians? Put your hands up. Two people. How many believe that the Jews believe that Gentiles couldn't be Christians? Put your hand up. Four, five of you. How many of you are waiting for the answer? How many, how many of you think, well, they could be, but they had to become Jews? Kind of mixture. Okay, so the reality is um, they didn't believe, they believed that they could easily go to heaven. The Jews believed that the Gentiles could go to heaven. They believed that they had to adhere to the seven Noahide laws. So the Jews had what's currently known as the, the, the 613 commandments. There were 613 commandments the Jews had to adhere to, but they didn't believe that the Gentiles did. They believed that the Gentiles followed God. They just had to adhere to the seven Noahide laws, which is like, basically it's the Ten Commandments, just in a different format. That's why there was a, a court of the Gentiles uh, that's why Paul pursued the God-fearers who were often Gentiles. So why, why say this? So, so that's why he didn't say don't murder, don't cheat, because it was, already, it was already a done thing. People already knew that stuff. So why add obey the food laws? It seems so strange when they didn't have to. It was very simple. It was so that Gentiles could have fellowship with Jews. So they could break bread together. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples. In other words, they gave up their rights in order to advance the kingdom of God. So yeah, they, they could, by, by law, they, could, they didn't have to adhere to the food laws. We said, we want you to, so you can fellowship with the Jews, because this will be an incredible testimony to God's work. So when you go into Scripture, there's a difference. Because if you're King, uh, Christian-centric, the interpretation will benefit your life. That's what you're looking for. How do, I, how do I have a better life? How do I make sure that God blesses me? How do I make sure I don't do anything wrong so that God doesn't punish me? That's, the, that's why you're going into Scripture. That's why you're listening to the Word of God. If you are brought into a kingdom-centric gospel, that stuff's important. But what's more important is this. The interpretation will advance His kingdom. How do I pursue his kingdom? Out of all these choices, the, the question I would say is the most important question for us to ask when we have a multitude of choices is, which of these choices will best advance his kingdom? Which of these choices will best advance his kingdom? Okay, yeah, so it might be okay for me to do this, but does it advance God's kingdom? It might be okay for me to eat this food 2,000 years ago, 
but will it advance God's kingdom? This is the message, this is the issue Jesus was bringing to the believers. A Christian-centric gospel is harder to reconcile, so don't believe it. You're going to have struggle, if you're born into a Christian-centric gospel, you're going to have a struggle trying to balance God's love with God's law. Because some things don't quite connect. It's only when you realize, actually, it's for the kingdom's sake that some of those things are going to make sense. There'll be times at work when people are making arguments, and their argument will be, well, if we love each other, if people love each other, surely it's okay. And if you're brought into a Christian-centric gospel, which basically says it's all about just making us okay, making us happy, giving us peace, you're going to find it difficult to argue, even in your own head until you understand that this is the problem Jesus came to fix, or one of them, was we want to be kingdom-centric. What about ministry? What about the way we serve our ministry? The two Gospels provide a prism from which to serve. Um, I know some friends who, um, um, for years, gave to uh, families. So there was a, an organization. What the organization did was it, it uh, asked wealthy people to take poor people to Walmart every Christmas and spend whatever money they wanted to spend on them. So every year, I know some people who would take a family or a couple of families sometimes to Walmart and spend a four, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars buying the kids' toys, buying them food, buying them Christmas trips, just a lot. Amazing. And then one year, the organization said, hey, we've done a deal with, I don't know who it was, let's just say Walmart. We've done a deal with Walmart for every dollar you give, they will, they will match fund it, and they will give the family. So you don't need to take the family anymore. You can just give your three, four, five hundred dollars $500, and that family will now get $1,000 worth of goods. People backed out their front and center. Why? Because they didn't get the buzz of taking people and seeing their faces light up. It poses the question, why do we do these things? And so often we're so obsessed with our ministry gift and yet Jesus doesn't talk about it, does he? Oh, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents had nothing to do with ministry gift and everything to do with faithfulness. And I'm not saying we shouldn't work out how best we can serve God. We just have to understand that your ministry gift is nothing but nuance. That's all it is. Jesus called you and I to go and make disciples. He's given us particular gifts in which to do that. But it's about making disciples. It's about advancing God's kingdom in our lives and in his life. And our service, if we're Christian-centric, can I suggest, is self-satisfying. These are the questions I've had to ask myself over the years. Whether it's kingdom-centric, it's going to be strategic because we ask the question, what will most advance the kingdom of God? Church, why are we here today? What's the reason? Which gospel did you buy into? The two gospels provide a, different, a prism sorry, from which to go to church you know, I was reading a, a blog recently. It said, Muslims pray to Mecca repeatedly in a totally humbling position. Other faiths go through rigorous preparations in order to even enter the presence of their gods. But hey, for Christians, worship is really no big deal. Grab a coffee, and while you're sipping it, maybe give God a nod because it will make him happy. Very different from what it says in 1 Corinthians, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word or instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done 
so the church may be built up. In other words, we come to give. At home, we get blessed. We spend the week with God, and then we come to church to give. We worship. The reason I worship is partly sometimes because I'm just worshiping God, and partly because as a testimony to the unsaved person that's in the church that you've brought, because I want them to see the joy that God's brought into my life. We bring a word. We bring an instruction. We bring an encouragement. What did you bring to church today? Did you come with a mentality, I've got this. I know what I'm going to bring. I know what I'm going to share. I know what I'm going to encourage people with. I'm sure many of you did. Or did you come with the, well, I, I'm going to come to church because I might get something. The preacher might say something. The worship might do something for me. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? That's a wonderful thing. We come to church and so often we go out feeling so much better and so, so much touch. It's happened to me many times. But as we enter the church, what Jesus is looking for is people who will contribute, who will bring something, not consumers, but those who will contribute. Now, will God bless you? Yes. Let me tell you just a really quick story. How can I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a king whose kingdom was going through an incredible drought. So he said to all these people, hey, we're going to fill the well at the castle for anyone who's in need. So any spare water you've got, bring it in any kind of container you can, whatever you can spare. So some people came with barrels. Some people came with buckets. Some people came with cups. Some people came with a thimble, and they came and lined up, and they poured the water into the well to fill up the well. And then the king said, wonderful, thank you. And he opened the doors to his treasure chest and said, now take anything you can carry in the utensil you brought the water in. And some people left with barrels of treasure. Some people left with buckets of treasure. Some people left with cups of treasure. And some people left with thimbles of treasure. Still treasure, isn't it? But as we come, God fills our heart. You can't outgive God. It's impossible. You cannot outgive God. Lastly, just thinking through this, leadership. This is my biggest challenge because I spend most of my time nowadays talking to leaders, particularly in the States. The two gospels provide a different prism from which we lead. Jesus came to fix a problem, a problem with believers and our leaders before the incarnation, before Jesus came, leaders received the Holy Spirit sporadically, occasionally, temporarily. They had the vision. But when Jesus came after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all men and women, young and old, so that you have the vision. And what's the job of leaders? Our job is to equip you for works of service. Our job is to equip you the finances of the church are, should be to equip you to reach the people in your workplace, to reach people at your school. Our time and effort is to do that. And yet all of us, congregation, leaders, parents, whatever leadership role we're in, we have to understand this. We have to understand that we are here to equip those that we're given responsibility to. Christian-centric, leaders create the vision that others fit into. You just don't see that in the New Testament. What you see in the New Testament is leaders equip the vision that others create. You know, when I first started Pays, I'll be honest, the first few years of Pays, it was me coming up with all the ideas. Now it's not. Most of the time, it's me realizing what other guys are doing and thinking, how can I resource that? How can I multiply that? How can I get the brilliant idea that Brian just came up with and help all the other guys in 20 other nations do that? How can I equip them for works of service? I think it was last week I heard Marina preach great message and she talked about having 
the rucksack. Well, she, she had a little girly bag, didn't she? But she had a little girly bag. And she talked about it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Whatever's in your bag is your responsibility. This, this is the bag I'm taking. It's a big responsibility. Carrying around with me across England. Why do I say that? Well, to summarize this. I think we have to understand that you're responsible to know the law according to which he will interact with you. Ignorance is not bliss. Listen, God is not dealing with you. God is not rewarding you. God is not interacting with you. God is not discipling you according to what you think Christianity is. He's doing it according to his law. He's doing it the way he's done it for thousands of years. So if I go somewhere, fortunately we're in a brilliant church here with brilliant teaching, but I go places all around the world and it's not so good. And none of us can say to God, well, that's what my pastor said. Because we've all been given the word of God and we've all been given the Holy Spirit within us. And sometimes there's danger in numbers because everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay. That was the problem 2,000 years ago. The Pharisees, who were seen as the spiritual gurus, had got it wrong, but people were, were trying to do what the Pharisees taught. And it was going wrong for them. There were so many lost sheep in Israel that Jesus was coming for. Why? They were pursuing what they, they, were, they were just opting out on their responsibility. It's your responsibility to dig into the word. It's your responsibility to ask the Holy Spirit, is this what this means? Is this the best way I can advance the kingdom of God? There are two gospels, it seems to me. Both of them will lead you to Jesus. Both of them will result in you going to heaven, whatever that looks like. But one is what's in the heart of Jesus and one is not. One has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And one, Jesus came to share with us and say, be righted with the Father. Pursue the kingdom of God. If I was to give you one tip, it would be this. The only person you should compare yourself to is Jesus. And the only person you should compete with is yourself. If you compare yourself to Jesus, you won't go far wrong. The great thing about comparing yourself to Jesus is it's okay to fail. I don't feel pressure when I compare myself to Jesus because I know I'm not going to make it. But if I dig and think, well, what did Jesus actually do? And don't ask the question, what would Jesus do? Because I'll tell you what Jesus would do, whatever you want him to do. What did Jesus do? What did he do? How did he do it? What did it look like? I'd like to pray with you. Just before I do, I just want to mention one thing. One of the things we've got on pays as a resource is a book which helps everybody discover or dig into, I should say, the Word of God and how to do it from the perspective of being kingdom-centric. So if you want to, we've got some books at the back and you can get them. And Profits Go Towards Pays in the UK, Reaching Young People. But I just want to leave this with you. Which gospel have you bought into? You know, this pandemic has been a great chance to repurpose and reset ourselves. And maybe that's one of the things we can do with our religion, my religion. These are questions I ask myself all the time. How do we set? Are you Christian-centric? Is that the gospel you're brought into? Or is it kingdom-centric? I know this is a kingdom-centric church, which is a wonderful thing. But it's our responsibility to be seeking first the kingdom of God and to know what that looks like. Let's pray, please. Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you for your kindness and your gentleness. 
Lord, we thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, you do touch our, our heart's desire, Lord. You do reach us, Lord. You listen to our prayers, Lord. Lord, even when our prayers are selfish, you listen to them. Even when our prayers are about us, Lord, you listen to them. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. But, Lord, we want to be the... We want to be the type of disciple you were looking for. We want to be the type of disciple that you desire, Lord. We don't want to be like the pagans who ask, if I do this, is that okay? Will you bless me? We want to ask the question, what are you doing, God, and how do we bless you? And just for the next few seconds, just want to give you that opportunity just to ask yourself that question. Am I Christian-centric? Am I kingdom-centric? And if you feel that you're, you know, I'm, I'm mainly kingdom-centric, then praise God, thank God, then can I encourage you to keep pursuing that. If you find that question a little bit more challenging, then please remember God doesn't come to condemn but to convict. So he, he points these things out only because there's hope for us change, there's hope to move in a new direction. So I pray for every one of us. Lord, bless this church, I pray. Continue to make this church a a standard for pays around the world, Lord. What happens here, we pray. Pray, Lord, you're blessed leadership. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus.